out. You're going to have a great time with Miss Christy this morning. So glad you've been in here with us. And how about this hope? Wasn't that good? My stars. Boy, I am jealous. I wish I had some of that talent, but I don't. All right, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. I know some of you are concerned we're getting started a little bit late. If you'll listen fast, I'll preach fast, and we'll be home fast. All right, I'll do my end if you'll do your end. Genesis chapter 3, uh, let me catch you up, the events leading up to it. Genesis chapter 2, the Lord goes to Adam and says, Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. He said, so Adam, I'm going to make you a helper She's going to be your helpmate. She's going to be your woman. And here's what she's going to do. She's going to be kind. She's going to be tender. She's going to be compassionate. And Adam, she is going to cook your favorite meal every day of the week. Adam, she is going to clean your house every day. And it's going to be just just spotless clean. And Adam, it gets even better. When y'all argue, she's going to be the first to come up and admit that she was wrong and you were right. And Adam thought to himself, man, that sounds good. But he said, Lord, what's that going to cost? And the Lord responded and said, Adam, that's going to cost an arm and a leg. Adam said, well, what can I get for a rib? I'm sorry, y'all. Oh, man. That's a joke. Take it easy. It's just a joke. I thought it was funny, though. All right, let's begin. Let's begin looking. And we we know in Genesis chapter 3, we meet a serpent. Serpent comes. It is, of course, the enemy who has embodied himself in the form of this reptile. If you like taking notes in your bulletin, you're going to find a sermon outline. Uh, Feel free to those in. We'll try to cover those. First thing I want you to notice this morning is the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil because he desires to bring destruction upon every part of your life. And he is good at it as well. So the schemes of the devil. Look at verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And so we see the serpent comes to Eve, and we would, of course, think, that's a bad sign, Eve. (laughs) Pay attention. I don't know about you. I hate snakes. I kill all snakes. I don't have a good snake or a bad snake. I just have dead snakes. And so we kill all of them. But in this day, a a serpent would have been a beautiful creature. And so the serpent comes. It's beautiful. And it comes in disguise to Eve. And I want you to notice the first thing he does is question the word of God. It says, and continuing, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He comes and he questions the word of God. There is skepticism implied with the question. He's raising doubts about the truthfulness of what God had said. He's insinuating that we need to be suspicious of God. And I want you to notice that he twists what God actually said. Because back in chapter 2, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, 
You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And and so picture it, if you would. God is with Adam, and he takes them in the garden and says, Adam, I want you to look around and look at all of this beauty. Look at all the trees. Look at all the fruit. Look at the greenery. Look at how beautiful it is. Adam, all this is yours all this is for you to live on. All of this is for you to enjoy. But Adam, there's, there's one tree, one tree in the center, and you've got to stay away from it. That one tree, you must avoid it because, Adam, it will bring destruction upon your life. Everything else is yours, but you've got to stay away from that one tree. But when the enemy comes, he makes it sound as though God is stingy and not generous. And he comes and he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, he's twisting what God had said. God is a generous God. We could stay here all morning and we would not have time to list the blessings of God upon our lives. Amen? We are a blessed, blessed people because God is pouring out his goodness upon us. But there are many believers who have bought into the lie of Satan that God is stingy. And there are many who walk around as though there is this huge burden upon them. I've got to go to church. I've got to give money. I've got to do this. And I just want to say, why don't you wake up and realize what God has done for your life and for your family? We are a blessed, blessed people. God is a generous God. But not only does he question the word of God, he also questions the character of God. You'll notice he he came and he says, did God actually say? Now here's why it's interesting. When you go back to chapter 2, every time that the Lord is mentioned in connection to humanity, it always says, Lord God. Lord God, Lord God. Eleven times the text says, Lord God. But when the enemy comes, he does not say, Lord God. He simply says, God. God is not a loving being who desires a relationship with you. The enemy comes in and says he is simply the distant creator God. He's simply the one in the distance. He's not the God who loves you. He wants you to have this good life. And so he begins to change who God is. Now look at verse 3, and it gets even more interesting. Eve responds, and Eve says this, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. How did Eve respond and make reference to the Lord? She just said, God. She moved a little bit closer to the enemy and the way that she views God. And somebody's thinking, I just know what they're saying, oh, he's just being technical. He's just looking for the little things. But I want to remind you, Satan brings destruction through the little things. It's the one tiny compromise that leads to another compromise that leads to another compromise that leads to another compromise. And before you know it, there is destruction. You say, well, what are you talking about? Anyone who has struggled with alcoholism, do you know where it starts? One tiny drink. I'm not trying to bring up the sins of the past, but anyone who has had an affair that ruined a marriage, you know where it started? One tiny compromise. One 
text message that should never have been sent. One email, one glance, one conversation, one tiny, you might say, innocent compromise, but it led to another, it led to another, it led to another, and it leads to destruction. And so he comes to Eve and he begins to change who God is just by his language. You see, words matter. And the enemy comes and says, you must question God. You must question God's authority. You must question God's command. You must question God's word. You must question God's relevance. You must even question God's existence. But you'll notice that Eve corrects the serpent. And she says, neither shall we touch it lest we die. It's interesting because back in chapter 2, God never told them not to touch it. I believe what probably happened is Eve was created and then Adam takes her through the garden and begins to show her all the beauty. Eve, look around, look at all that God has blessed us with. But Eve, we cannot touch that tree. We can have nothing to do with this tree. Because Eve, if we do, it is going to lead to destruction. And so I think what Adam said was, Eve, don't look at it. Don't smell of it. Don't even touch it because it's that bad. And I think that's good advice. I think when there is something that the Lord says we shouldn't do, we need to stay as far away from it as we possibly can. But what a lot of Christians want to do is we want to find that line. If this is sin, I want to get just as close to it as I possibly can. I don't want to miss out on any fun, so let me get just real close to it. But I believe if the Lord says stay away, we should surely stay away. So he questions the word of God. He questions the character of God. Thirdly, he contradicts God. Chapter 2, verse 17, it says, In that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what God said. Now look at verse 4 of chapter 3. Satan's response was the opposite. It says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil he says God is wrong God has lied to you let me show you the truth Eve you're not going to die but on the other hand your eyes they're going to be opened and you're going to know good from evil and then he gives the lie that is the father of all lies. It is the lie that damned Satan himself. It is the lie that feeds every false religion that has ever existed. And it is the lie that you will be like God. He says, you will be like God. And here's what you'll find. <clears throat> we live in a culture where people all around us have made themselves God. And they are striving to build up their own kingdom. And they are living for themselves and for their honor and for their glory and for their expansion and for their goods and for their things. And they wake up every day with the mentality that I am God and everything exists for me. And that is the lie of Satan. He said, if you'll do this, here's what's going to happen, Eve. You're going to be like God. <clears throat> You're going to be like God in your life. And there's a longing inside of fallen humanity that wants to be God. 
Secular humanism today is the belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment apart from God. And so we seek education, and we seek wealth, and we seek politics, and we seek law, and we seek equality, and we push God out of government, and we push God out of our schools, and we say, we can do it. We don't need you, God, because we can do this. And the lie, the lie is that God does not want what is best for you. If you miss everything else today, get this. God's plan is best for your life. God wants goodness out of you. God wants you to, to just be great in life. And I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about being rich. And I'm not talking about being healthy. I'm talking about a reason to live in life. God has the, ble- the best plan and the best direction for your life. But Satan comes time and time again and says, don't follow God. Follow your plan. You'd be a whole lot happier if you did things your way. Look at what everybody else is doing. Why don't you just do what they're doing? You say, Case, what do you mean? Well, there's obviously the the big sins, we call them. But I think there are some things that we don't even think about. You see, the world says this, and it comes from the father of lies, The world says that you need to accumulate as much stuff as you possibly can. And so when you find something you want, it does not matter if you can afford it, just buy it. Because your happiness comes from the things that you have. So just go out and buy, buy, buy. But you know what the Bible says? But godliness with contentment is great gain. The Bible talks about the way that we handle our finances and that we manage our resources Do you know that more people are stressed out about money than anything else? Money and the bills that are coming in week after week after week. And how am I going to pay for this? It's because we buy into the lie of Satan that says, I've got to have this new thing or I've got to have this new thing. So I'm not going to follow the plan of God. I'm going to follow the lie of Satan that I know better. Let me give you just one more example. You know, the Bible talks about that our... (laughs) Our focus should not be on our appearance. It talks about our, for ladies, jewelry that you wear, your hair. Um, you know, there's a lot of folks that they judge their day every morning. They judge their day based upon three numbers on a box they stand on. I mean, it's just reality. Many in this room, you're not going to admit it, but in this room, every morning you wake up and you stand on this little box and your day starts happy or your day starts sad based upon the numbers that you see. And the Bible says this, the Bible says you're so much more than that. You're so much more than than your weight. You're so much more than what you look like. Sure, that's important. Take care of your body. Eat well. Do right. But you're so much more to it. But there are many people who have bought into the lie of Satan that says you are determined by this number on a scale. And I say hogwash. It's not from God. But we could stay here all day talking about the little lies of Satan that come in and they steal your joy and they steal your purpose and they make you focus on things that are not good for your life. And all of them are lies straight from the devil himself. And it comes down to this belief that says, you know better than what God knows. You're the one that needs to make the plan for your life because you know better. And so there's the question of the words, there's the question of the character, there's the contradiction. But then we see the fall of man. 
the fall of man. We see the appeal of sin in verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Even just looking at the tree and she says, it looks good, it looks tasty. I, I want to taste it. It's pleasant to the eyes. Maybe it will give me this, this wisdom. It's, it's going to be good. See, Satan always says it's going to be worth it. But the price is too high. Verse 6, so she took of its fruit and she ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Here's what gets me. First time we see Adam in this story is verse 6, right here. Where's Adam been? We don't know. It could be that he has been here the whole time because in verses 1 through 5, the Hebrew word is plural. And so when you read you, it's a plural word in the Hebrew. And so it could be that Adam has been there the whole time. It could be that Eve had to go out and find Adam and give him the fruit. It could be that Adam just walks up and he walks into this dialogue. But my question is this, where is the man of God Where's the man of God that's going to stand up in courage and say, we will not do this? Where's the man of God that's going to come up in courage and see his wife being tempted by the enemy and the man's going to come up ready to fight for his wife and say, this is not going to happen? Where's the man of God at? We see a man come and he is passive and he is timid and he walks up. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't do a thing. He just gives in to sin. Now, men, there is a, we don't have time to stay on, but there's a principle in that. Our wives, they need a man of courage who will stand and say, not in my home. It's not going to happen. Our children, your grandchildren, they need a, a man of God who's going to stand up and say, you will not destroy my home, you will not destroy my family, it's not going to happen because I know the word of God, I know what is right, I know what is true, and so get out of here you little snake because it's not going to happen. How the story could have been different if a man of God would have stood up, but we do not find that man we find a spineless man who walks up and has nothing to say. And then we see the moment that changed everything. Romans 5, 17, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That one bite, it was a moment that changed everything. And the world has never gotten over it. I want you to think about the things that you hate the most. Maybe you have someone that you love so much and they're fighting against cancer. And oh, you hate cancer. You've seen what it does. You think of another disease and you see what that disease has done. That's because of sin. You think about marriages that are being ripped apart and children and divorce and you hate it. It's a result of sin. You think about abuse that children are living in, that women are living in under abuse to their husbands. It all comes back from the result of sin. It's the doctrine of original sin. It means that when Adam fell, we fell too. Because of this sin, me and you, we are born with a sinful nature. And so the question is, the obvious question, why is it Adam's fault? After all, Eve was the one who ate first. 
Good question. I'm glad you asked that question. 1 Timothy 2, 14, it says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. You see, Eve was deceived, but Adam knew full well what he was doing. He was in open rebellion against God. But I believe there's a, a larger reason. Adam is the rep- representative to humanity. He is the delegate. He is the one who represents mankind before God. And so he is the one who when he fell, we all fall. Romans 5:19 says, "For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners." But the verse continues, and it says, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Here's the beautiful picture. When Adam sinned, he brought sin upon all of us. Now, don't look shocked. You've sinned too, right? (laughs) You know that. But when Jesus shed his blood, he did everything that Adam failed to do. He took our place. He covered for our sin. He covered for our shame. He covered for our guilt. And so now when God looks upon me, he does not see my sin. He does not see the sinfulness that goes all the way back to Adam. Instead, he sees the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which covers me. And so the hope is this. Adam and sin brought death and failure, but Jesus cured all of it. And he brings reconciliation through repentance. But then we go on and we see the empty promise of sin. Look at verse 7. It says, Then their eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. You know what they're doing? Their eyes are open, and the promise was it's going to be so good, but their eyes are open, and they realize they are naked. And so what do we got to do? We've got this shame. We messed up. We've got this guilt. So let's go get some fig leaves and let's cover our guilt. Let's cover our shame. And you know what they're doing? They're doing the same thing that folks do today. I've got this problem with sin. I must work to get out of it. And so let me go to church every Sunday morning and try to cover my sin. Let me, let me give some money to the church, and I'm going to try to cover my guilt. Let me go be a really good person, and I'm going to make amends for the bad things that I've done in life. Let me do enough good things, and then I'm going to take care of this myself. Let me become really educated. Let me make a lot of money. Let me do all this good for the world, because then I can solve the problem that I created. But all of this self-betterment does is the same as fig leaves do. It does not cover sin. All it does is put a mask over the shame and the guilt, but it still leaves us in the same position before God. Listen to me. There's nothing that you can do to make amends for your sin. There's nothing that I can do. I cannot be a good enough person to cover my sin and my shame. It continues, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. They had this shame and this guilt. And so when they hear God coming, what do they do? They run. They run and they hide. Up until this point, it seemed as though God would walk in the garden side by side with Adam 
and with Eve. But now because they have sinned, they have shame and they run and they hide. Last thing I want you to notice is the work of God. The work of God. God seeks man. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. Here's what I love. If I'm God, and I have given Adam and Eve so much, and they had one rule, my kids have thousands of rules. They had one rule, and they blew it, and they messed it up. If I'm God, I don't know that I'm going to go seek after these folks. But what we find is that God is the one who is seeking after Adam, and he is seeking after Eve. And do you know why that is? It's because he loves them that much. Regardless of what they've done, regardless of their sin, regardless of their transgressions, God says, I love them. I I want a relationship with them. And it's not dependent upon what they have done and what they have not done. Here's the point. Your sin is not too big for God. Did you catch that? Your sin, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. It's not too big for God. He still loves you and he is still seeking you. And so you may hide from him and some of you, maybe you're hiding right now from God. I want you to know that he is seeking after you. And I love that because he gets the credit, he gets the glory, and we don't. And so he comes looking, where are you? And they said, well, I hid because I was, let's go East Texas, I was naked. Okay, And he said, who told you that you were naked? No, God doesn't say naked. God says naked, doesn't he? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And listen how they respond, verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. You know what Adam says? Well, God, yeah, we messed up, but look, it's her fault. She did it. She's the one that gave me the fruit. And by the way, God, just if we want to get just really down and dirty with it, you're the one that gave her to me. God, you're the one that sent me that woman. That woman gave me the fruit. So, God, it's really your fault. God, this is your problem. It's not my problem. And so the Lord comes so that they might confess their sin. But Adam does not confess. Instead, he tries to pass the blame. It's this, this wretched woman Our God, it's you. God, it's what you sent me. And so then he gives the chance for the woman. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The woman does not confess. She does not take the blame. She says, okay, Adam, you're going to put it on me? Well, God, it's really because of this snake. This serpent came and the serpent tempted me. It's not my fault. It is the fault of this serpent. And the Lord makes no argument. There's no discussion. He goes straight into the punishment of sin. Verse 14 and 15. Because you've done this, talking to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. Now listen, this is good. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. First on the serpent, you're going to be crawling on your belly. Well, maybe they had legs before this and now he's cursed. Secondly, it says this. You're going to have 
a seed. And so Eve hears that, and, and she knows in this moment that she will have children. Praise God for that. But it says, there will be enmity between your seed and her seed, and you will strike the hill, and he will strike your head. Now, the, the, the Hebrew word there is a singular word, and it's pointing to something definite, something concrete. You know what it's pointing to? It's pointing to Jesus Christ. All the way back in Genesis 3. That Jesus is going to come. One from her seed, from her bloodline will come. And that snake might keep on striking at the heel over and over. We have felt that. But there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will strike the head of that serpent. Somebody say amen. That's good stuff right there. This is what Romans 16 says. It says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so, yes, there's going to be times of trial, times of temptation, but Jesus gets the victory. And we see that begins at the cross and at the resurrection. But if you read in Revelation, you see it's coming to fulfillment when the enemy is crushed underfoot. God is bigger than your sin. And then there's the punishment I will, to the woman. I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Somebody, that's a woman, should say amen to that one. In pain, you thank you. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There's going to be a fight between your children and also between your husband. Your two most precious relationships. And the husband is now going to try to rule over the wife. And the wife will try to rule over the husband. And it all goes back to this sin. And then he tells Adam, he says, you're going to have to work by the field. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be thistles. It's going to be tough. And Adam, from dust you came, and to dust you will return. Here's the point, okay? All of that, the point is this. When we sin, there are consequences. You, you might be in here and you say, well, nobody knows about my sin. I'll just remind you that God knows about it. You might can fool everyone around you. You might fool your spouse, your children, your co-workers, but God knows about it. And the Bible says when there is sin, there is consequence. And the very last thing, and we're done, is this. God covers our sin. Look at verse 21. Uh, verse 21, and it says, And the Lord, gave, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The picture is this, they have sin, they have shame, they have guilt, and so they've tried to cover it by their own strength and power with fig leaves. But God comes, and there is blood that is shed. Blood that is shed that points to the sacrificial system. Blood that is shed that points to the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so blood is shed, and an animal skin is used to cover their bodies. And it shows that when there is sin in our life, there is only one who can cover it, and that is the Lord God. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head, and I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how it applies to your life. We realize there is sin, but I want you to know that none of this caught God by surprise. <clears throat> God knew what was happening God knew the decisions that would be made. And then God does the work and he seeks after both Adam and Eve. 
He seeks after them because he loves them. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to be beaten and crucified so that he can bring reconciliation to this problem of sin. The Lord puts clothes, robes of righteousness upon us because we cannot cover our sin ourselves. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never found salvation from your sins. You're, you're trying to be a good person, you're trying to come to church, and you're trying to do what's right, and you're living your life to say, if I just do enough good, then it's all going to be okay in the end. And that sounds good, except for the fact that it is totally unbiblical. It's unbiblical because you cannot do enough good to earn salvation. It's only through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Genesis 3, we see a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. He shed his blood so that you can have salvation. And so if that's you and the Holy Spirit is drawing you to salvation, I pray you'll come this morning. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home. Looking for a church home that hates sin, hates the devil, and wants to honor and glorify Jesus. Well, we'd love for you to come and to join us right here at Woodland Hills. Maybe you're here and you, you know that you're saved, but like Adam and Eve, you've been rebellious. You've been running away from God. And so the call for you today is to seek after the Lord. Let him have control in the reins of your life. You see, I don't know what you need to do today, but I pray that whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to, that you'll answer that, that you'll be obedient. Lord, we thank you for this, this wonderful time that we've had together, God, the time of worship, the time in your word. Lord, I pray that we will be obedient to what you call us to do. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray they've seen the gospel this morning. I pray they've seen the, the consequence of sin, how it is so destructive. But God, I pray they'll also see that you had a plan, God, a plan of reconciliation. And you brought this all together because you love us so much. So Lord, let your will be done. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.